Mike one, Mike one, isn't this a lot of fun? Two, 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 two. Hey, don't get too overexcited. I mean, you might want to grip hold of something firm because we are about to jettison ourselves into the world of semi-professional podcasting. We have what is known in the business as a show opener. Oh my God. I mean, if we were professionals, I probably would have used the show opener at the opening of the show because it's called a show opener for that purpose. As in this little preamble is probably not what pros would do. They actually start with the show opener. But A, I'm very excited about this. So I just wanted to give it a lead in. B, remember the person who makes this production is very, very drunk most of the time. It takes him a long time to come up with these things. And C, even though he's doing it for us for free, I mean, I'm not even sending him a bottle of Jack Daniels, uh, even <laughs> though he's, he's, he's had enough, trust me. Yeah. Even though he's done it for us for free, I already rejected two efforts that he made because I said that they weren't American enough. So this one better scream America. I think you'll agree, boys and girls, that this one is the appropriate intro to Did You America? Here you go. Did You America? Does it scream America, Jeremy? I just screamed America. Somehow my pants are off. (laughs) (laughs) If you're listening, Lady Gaga, that is how you do it. Yeah, get out of here with your weird bird thing on your shirt. We need more guitar solos and the screamings of Americas. Yes, yes, yes. At my inauguration, that is how I would have had it played. Oh, for sure. <laughs> That's how you get elected president right there. Oh, <laughs> uh, So, uh, yeah, we're, we're going up in the world, boys and girls. We've got a, uh, a show opener that is sufficiently America Woo! enough. Oh. So he's Jeremy, I'm Camfield. Uh, this is season two, episode... Oh, who even cares? ...of Did You America, now featuring a show opener. And there's a Super Bowl coming in two weeks. Can you guess one of the players at the Super Bowl? Who? Tom Brady. Who's that guy? Could you have guessed it before the season started? I, I definitely didn't. Now... Before we get into this, by the way, this is going to be, again, my uh, second attempt at doing a sports segment during the podcast, and uh, American sports is not exactly my strong point. I did all right last time we did this, though, right? No, you crushed it. I mean, I was expecting a call from ESPN by now. You just have to realize that in our football, rarely does the ball touch the foot. I am aware of that. Okay, okay. Because that's that's American football, right? Yeah. No. (laughs) No. Take that shit back to England. That's football, football, and that's soccer, soccer. Now, this is one thing I do understand, and 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 uh, you know, explain this uh, for me. I, I understand that normally America loves a winner, and America always celebrates success, but that seems to not apply to Tom Brady and used to be Tom Brady and the Patriots. It's the only instance that I could remember of just constant success where a great deal of America turned on 
his ex-team and quarterback Brady, right? You, you hit on something really interesting here. In sports, it is literally the only time in America that for some reason everyone hates the person who's the best. It's the same thing with LeBron James. You hear people say like, oh, he's not that good all the time. And like, they'll always bring in Jordan where I'll remind people that when Michael Jordan was playing, not everyone was like, oh my God, he's the greatest thing ever. Same thing with Kobe Bryant. When he was playing, a lot of people kind of hated him. Mm. So for some reason in sports, like, we want the best to be taken down a notch, where in every other thing we claim, like, we're number one no matter what. Now, but I will tell you this, coming from a country that wants everyone who achieves anything to be taken down a notch, because that is the British psyche. Right. The fact that you only do it in sports, but in all other walks of life, you encourage ambition and celebrate success. That I feel like I should play the intro again. That's what makes America great, everybody! For some reason, it's like everyone wants, like, no, the previous thing was better. It's kind of like that hipster mentality of like what i liked first is really the best mm. for me like i want to be able like i want lebron james to be the best basketball player ever i want uh tom brady to be the best football player ever because like it would be cool to see that in my generation you know like my generation was the best mm. so mm. i never really understood why uh People just have, like, unnecessary hatred for Tom Brady. I mean, like, the guy's the definition of an underdog, and yeah. yet, like, he's, he's... I mean, like, the resume is incredible at this point. There's no arguing against it. Is it fair to argue now, though, that maybe it was more Belichick that was the, the hated person? Because I'm noticing, just from looking at social media yesterday when, when the, the Buccaneers won, that... I mean, I remember this time last year when the Patriots won and it was just full on hate on my social media as per the, the point I made about it's the only instance where you 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 want to tear down the success. Right. Whereas this time, because Brady was doing it with a different team, yeah, there was plenty of people that didn't like it because it was Brady, but I didn't experience the all-out hatred that occurred 12 months ago when it was the Patriots going into the Super Bowl. Yeah, it's weird. Like, I saw a lot of people on social media who claim to be Patriots fans. Now, like, they're, they're like, almost taking this as another one of their own Super Bowls. That I'm glad you bring that up because I got a, a buddy uh, called Dustin who is from Boston, right? He lives in D.C. now. And um, he was all over uh, Twitter and Instagram yesterday, uh getting ready for the game, ordering my pizza and my wings. And then as the as Tampa were doing better, he's uh, giving us a rundown of like their scores going up. He's had so many wings. And, and I, so I jumped on this and I'm like, I can you just take the player and then adopt the new team? Because you were Patriots through and through. You're from Boston. And now you're deciding that because Brady is now in Tampa that this is going to be a win for you. And he said, fuck off to soccer. <laughs> I mean, I think everyone can agree with that. <laughs> I uh, I think it's weird. Um, yeah, like for some reason, the rules have kind of gone out the window, I guess, this year. People are just like, yeah, we're now going to all of a sudden love Tom Brady. I think he's just kind of hit that point where like, you can no longer hate on him because, like, he's legitimate. He could legitimately be a grandpa, and he's playing better than everyone else. Mm. So I think uh, people would just kind of accept it finally. They they broke through that wall. And now I guess everyone just loves Tom. But Brady. aren't you annoyed that the uh, you know people like my buddy Dustin, who were uh, diehard Patriots fans, are behaving now as if their team has gone to the Super Bowl? This is like taking a friend horse racing or to the dog track 
and they're picking the winning animal based on its name. They're like, no, <laughs> study the form, you fucking moron. It's right? a brilliant it's, strategy. It's, well, but but you, like, they were your team for so many years, and now Brady's on another team, but it's obviously is the skill of Brady that's getting them uh, into the Super Bowl, and now you've decided that you're going to side with Tampa for a few weeks? Right, like there's... I'm a big gambler. I literally won't even bet against the Cowboys because like I I can't cheer I can't cheer against them. So I don't understand now all of a sudden them supporting the stars. Like if uh if tomorrow the the Cowboys traded Dak Prescott to I don't know Denver. Right. I I wouldn't be so upset that I'm now a Denver fan. That's right. not how it works. You're not going to be going, yay Broncos. No. Eh? Never. No. No. You're not going to be getting their colors in your window. No, no, not my style. No, yeah, I um, you see, I again, I don't have any particular affiliation with any of the the, the teams specifically. But I was watching this, and I was like, you. But I I didn't know whether I was being unfairly judgmental because I do tend to discriminate against Boston only because I've been there a few times, and it is the most European feeling city in America that I have ever visited and as someone who i mean sitting here in the great state of texas i celebrate every one of those five thousand miles i am away from (laughs) shitsville and anything that happens that makes me feel even further than five thousand miles i mean i just can't get enough of it and obviously i know geographically boston is way closer right yeah but it's still, I think, five hours, six hours on a plane from Shitsville to Boston. The first time I ever went to Boston, I got off that plane after five or six hours. And I was, is it Logan Airport or Boston? Sure. I don't think it's Logan, yeah. Whatever. I don't go to Boston. Well, anyway, I did. And I got in a rental car from the rental, right? And I was um, driving out of the airport that may or may not be called Logan, using GPS to get to my hotel. And I thought, have I, have I actually left England? This looks exactly <laughs> the fucking same. It, They've put in roundabouts everywhere, which is really inconvenient. They've also done this thing called the Big Dig. So if, like me, you're getting off of the aeroplane, you've never been there before, you're going straight to a rental and you're using GPS, do you know how hard it is to get to your hotel because there's a tunnel every fucking half a mile and the GPS keeps on going out? That sounds terrible. It's almost as if it's like a new England or something. And then, and then, when I did find my hotel and then went out for a drive in the afternoon, I went out around one of the coastlines and pretty much, I might be slightly exaggerating, but pretty much every place, every place I could stop at on that coastline is named after somewhere in England. What's the point? This is America. I used to think that Bostonians were bitter because they were similar to and close to New York, but nowhere as good. Did I just say something controversial? No, I think this is like, I mean, this is the worst thing that you can describe a place as, as being European. Like, that's the ultimate, that's like you screaming the N-word at someone. <laughs> it doesn't get worse than that. But I, 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 as I said, once I'd spent 24 hours there, which is 24 hours too many, I decided, actually, this isn't a place that's similar to New York with an inferiority complex. This is a place that wants to be Europe. And all of those people in Boston, I felt like if they could just saw it off 
and push it back across the water and rejoin it to England, nothing would make them happier. It's actually, they just shifted over, over time. Like it went across the ocean. Like no one noticed it's just attached to America all well, of a sudden. Like, like I said, I didn't feel like I had traveled any great distance. I felt like I was still in England. And so with me not having any particular affiliation to uh, American football, <laughs> um, I don't have that deep-rooted resentment of the Patriots like everyone outside of Massachusetts has. I just have a deep-rooted resentment to Boston because it felt like I was still in England. Maybe that's why. You know, everyone wants to point to like, oh, the relationship with Belichick was deteriorating. Oh, he wanted to move to a different team. Maybe that's why he went to Tampa. He was like, this place is just so goddamn un-American. Well, I got to get to a place that screams America. Well, I will tell you this because this is also now why I am supporting Tom Brady in this Super Bowl because the complete opposite happened to me when I went to Tampa for the first time. So I told you about my uh, my Bostonian experience. But the first time I went to Tampa, I went out to Florida and this is the only time I've ever been to Florida. I went out for a week because I was going to some Iron Maiden shows, right? As you know, one of my favorite bands in the world ever. Of course. And uh, they started off in Fort Lauderdale. I flew out to Miami and then went to the show in Fort Lauderdale. And that was fine. You know, the sun was shining. Everyone was very pretty. But I, in Miami, you everything is the... They're, they're, they're so obsessed with EDM. So everything is going... I swear at one point, some friends of mine had a boat. We took a boat off the coast you could go out into the water for a couple of miles and you could still hear from somewhere. Yeah, that's right? Miami. I know. So, it, you know, you can keep your winter music conferences. I mean, I wasn't turned off against Miami in the same way that I was turned off against uh, Boston because, um, you know, it was way sunnier and uh, the, I didn't feel like I was in England for a start. Everyone had way better teeth. But Miami, <laughs> uh, Miami, it's just not my thing. But then I drove across Florida to get to Tampa because that was the next date of the Iron Maiden tour. And let me tell you, Tampa, I, I, I had a better time talking to people in the gas station in the middle of nowhere, in like the middle of Florida, a better time than I did talking to anyone when I was in Boston. Yeah, who cares that every other person was offering you meth? Just really great people there. It was a great deal. You could get a bunch of meth and get your money off your gas and it'll get you to the other side. They say it's a, it's a long drive. You might want to stay awake, you know, that kind of thing. The meth just hits different in Florida. <laughs> and and uh, I just remember there was a ton of rock on the radio and... You know, Tampa's got the same amount of sunshine as Miami, but it doesn't have the oomph, 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 right. oomph, oomph, right? Everything in my, if, if Miami's going oomph, 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 Tampa's going, uh, 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 <laughs> Yeah, right? Tampa's basically playing our intro song nonstop. Oh my God, is it? So, and everyone was in a rock and there was rock coming out of everywhere and there was rocks of meth. No, I'm making that <laughs> bit up. And, um... I went to the um, I went to the Iron Maiden show in Tampa, 
And Lady Gaga went, to, she was playing the same arena like the night before or the night after. So she was all, already in town and she's a big metal fan. So she came to the show and I, I, like, I met her very briefly. So I st stood side of stage with Lady Gaga and Iron Maiden show. The next night at the same venue, Charlie Sheen. Do you remember when he had that big meltdown and went on tour? Do I ever? Where, where he said, like, I've been kicked off the TV, so I'm going to take my insaneness to stages, basically. I'm still injecting tiger blood. <laughs> right, that was it. The tiger blood winning period. The next night, he was playing, or a couple of nights later, he was playing the same arena. Let me tell you. The best audience for a um, Charlie Sheen meltdown is a Florida audience. They <laughs> lapped it up so much. Of course. There was one guy in the audience who, um, for no reason apart from that it was his ex-wife and this guy had to be uh, escorted out of the, of the show, just kept on shouting, Denise Richards! Denise Richards! Denise Richards! <laughs> like the halter and Charlie Sheen's like, shut up, dude. Denise Richards! Denise Richards! As you said, the meth hits it in a different way. Yeah. In Tampa, right? But again, just the best audience for that. And that show was a total car crash. The thing I remember about the Charlie Sheen show was it had an amazing intro because it was the only bit that was planned. So they had like this video montage of Charlie Sheen. And then a sp it runs for like five minutes. It's completely over the top. It's like you're at the wrestling. And then the spotlight goes from the stage to uh, the, the crowd. And he appears like in a boxer's robe in the corner of the crowd with bodyguards and like walks through the crowd up to the stage. So the intro was great because they had five minutes of that show planned. The rest of it was just crazy. Um, see, describing that show, it... Just to bring it back to sports for a second, this is exactly why COVID may be a good thing in 2021. Because if we had a stadium full of those people on Tampa Bay, uh, the Super Bowl might be a little reckless this year. <laughs> right, Things might get a little out of hand. I mean, they have the home team there. And let me tell you this. I'm fairly sure that that Charlie Sheen breakdown show did not go to Boston. <laughs> Boston probably considered themselves too educated of course. For, the, for the Charlie Sheen Tiger Blood winning <laughs> show. So anyway, um, based on... The fact that the time I spent in Boston made it appear the most European of all parts of America versus the experience I just described to you in Tampa, side of stage with Lady Gaga, Charlie Sheen's Tiger Blood, coming out of everywhere. I'm I'm all in. I'm all in on Tampa um, winning the Super Bowl. So you're Team Tom. I was well. I didn't. As I said, I was never one of these people that was massively against him, and and I, and I always questioned why there would be so much hatred towards him as and the Patriots, when generally um, America loves a winner and keeps supporting a winner. But um, you know, I have my own issues with Boston, and um, I just, I mean. Tampa's a good time. <laughs> and I, and, and I, I, I think someone said to me once that Tampa is the Florida of Florida. And I say, <laughs> fuck yeah. Orlando's a close second, but yeah, Tampa's definitely number one. Well, that's the thing. If, you, if, there's, if there's a night where there's not something good happening in Tampa, it's only like 90 minutes up the road to Orlando, right? I mean, <laughs> you're having so much fun. All these people that say they want to hang out, they, they you, you got like Miami and Fort Lauderdale. No, 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 no. Take me to the other side. I'm more a Tampa Orlando person, and I don't mean Disney. <laughs> I like it. I'll, uh, I'll say this about Tom Brady. You know, there's plenty of great storylines for this year, 
Bowl. Obviously, they're playing the Chiefs, young quarterback Patrick Mahomes, the old generation versus the new generation, yada, yada, can, yada. Can Mahomes become the GOAT? Yes. Right. I mean, he's right now the trajectory he's on. Uh, I mean, the guy's been to two Super Bowls and three championship games. And, and this is only his, yeah, this right. is only his 30 years to start. But the thing about Brady is, is, you know, there's there's all these conspiracies going around right now that certain politicians maybe drink the blood of infants. <laughs> I think we need to take that off of the old people that are breaking down that clearly probably aren't drinking this magical blood of dead fetuses and we need to put that on tom brady how is this guy doing this at this age clearly he's sucking the blood of children well, why is no one talking about him being in the illuminati he does like to tongue one of his own kids right <laughs> is, that, is that connected i think we need to start this conspiracy <laughs> clearly the tongue of his child is what's giving him all this super that was bowl him, power right? that yeah <laughs> yeah um now you mentioned something to me before we started this podcast hey aren't we doing good with this sports segment oh we're so good at oh, sports i tell you i've uh, the next week maybe we should move on to doing um mexican because i do need a job <laughs> are you I, ready to learn some spanish well I, I said i need to broaden my horizon with where my next radio gig could be and i think i'm fast mastering sports radio we might need to move on to mexican right <laughs> i think we got this um, fajitas tacos all that business <laughs> um you mentioned to me uh before we started recording today's episode um that there are still these conspiracy theories that even though he's moved to a different team, uh, there's still some cheating going on with Brady. Because I remember all of the stories about the Flategate and the um, the filming apparently in, in the dressing rooms of, of, of right. opposing teams with the Patriots. But um, it was decided yesterday that the Chiefs would only be able to arrive 48 hours before Super Bowl, right? Nah, something fishy here. And it literally was decided after Tampa won, I right? Th I think it was either the before the game or after. But yeah, I mean, they knew uh, Tampa was going. They are like, eh, the other team's going to be screwed. Mm. It's, uh, it's definitely something fishy there. I think uh, everyone always wants to point the finger at Belichick and say like, oh, he's old and grumpy and conniving. Clearly, he's the one cheating. Eh, I think we got to keep an eye on this guy, Brady, in Florida now. Now, also, uh, some people I was hanging out with earlier today, and this might be complete conjecture, were saying that, uh, who's the governor of Florida? Uh, DeSantos? Yeah. He was talking that Florida's very open, right, in terms of COVID. They're like, we got a load of COVID, but we're keeping our businesses open. We need to keep the economy going and, and so on and so forth. They were saying that the governor of Florida had, a, and I don't know whether this is true, this is just pure hearsay, had been discussing the fact that he was comfortable with having near capacity stadiums for sporting events because obviously whatever sport is going on in the States at the moment, the capacity is limited because right. of COVID. Now, I don't know whether he did or he didn't say that, but the conspiracy theory from one of my buddies earlier today was that uh, governor of Florida just put that idea out there so that now Tampa is in the Super Bowl in Tampa. They're actually not going to have the limit on capacity. And before you know it, they're going to get back to that home field advantage because the governor of Florida went, oh yeah, we're Florida. We don't care about the COVID. We'll go to 100% in the stadium. <laughs> and then suddenly, of course, it's full of screaming Buccaneers fans. The only thing else he could do is put a little rock and meth on each chair in that stadium, really get the crowd going. <laughs> well, the meth hits different in Tampa, as you said, right? Yeah. I uh, I did see, a, I saw a headline that one of, I think it was in Miami, they're now thinking about doing like 
COVID sniffing dogs to let more people into the stadium. Like, I guess somehow they've trained the dogs to sniff out the virus and they'll just, you know, they're going to have each person sitting by the door getting sniffed by dogs. Now, that might be your worst nightmare. Uh, well, I'm, I got to tell you, I'm not, well, I, so I've got a proper dog phobia. I mean, I get, I have anxiety. I live on the fifth floor of my apartment building. I'm not exaggerating. I have anxiety. Anytime I'm in the elevator, if if the elevator stops on a floor between me and level one, that someone's going to walk in with a dog. And even <laughs> when I get to level one, I've got anxiety that the door's going to open and there's going to be someone there with an enthusiastic dog who's not who's not going to realize that I'm a freak with a dog phobia right. and not going to make the space for me to get out. Like I seriously feel like if so, I go from floor five to floor one, right? If the doors open on floor one and there's someone there with a dog, and I always say this, size doesn't matter. It could be one of those yappy things that old ladies keep in their handbags. Um, <laughs> I, I, or, or it can be a Rottweiler. It doesn't matter. I, I feel like I'm cornered. It's like I'm trapped in the elevator because I'm like, are you going to, like, I need to, I've got to <laughs> circumnavigate this person with a dog who's waiting to get in the elevator while I'm exiting. So bearing in mind that my dog phobia is, is that bad, can you imagine how guilty I look if a sniffer dog comes out of the airport? <laughs> Immediately running away. That guy has drugs. Get him. <laughs> I mean, literally, well, because the other thing is, is I, get, I mean, it's very clever that dogs can sniff out drugs and, and apparently COVID. But the other thing that I'm aware of is that dogs can also smell fear. So <laughs> you imagine the sniffer dog who's trying to find drugs on people while they're at the bag claim, right? but can also smell my fear. Who's the dog going to get? And, and, and I literally, if the dog gets close, I've basically gone, just take me away and give me the glove. I don't care what you need to do, whatever, whatever it is. I just can't deal with the dog. You just immediately drop to the I'm fetal position. I'm like, I'm naked. I'm going to get naked. I'm going to get naked. Unless you take the dog away, I don't care what you need to do. You better get out of here. My dick is coming out. <laughs> so, so yeah, you're like, I, 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 the, the, the sniffer dogs, um, for for COVID, for uh, for drugs, whatever it is. I mean, put it this way: there's no way I would be getting into who's doing it. The uh, Miami, I think it was Miami Heat, Heat right? yeah, yeah, for basketball. There's, there's no way I'm getting into the basketball game in Miami, even though I'm probably, as far as I know, completely COVID free. Because one of those dogs comes up to me, they ain't letting me in. See, I'm totally different. Like, hey, I love dogs, like most people, but there's something about dogs. I think like they can just sense like the inner torture in me because every dog just has like a weird love for me. Like the moment I come across them, even though like sometimes people be like, oh my God, my dog's so aggressive and bites people. And they're just like licking my face. They don't care. I did have one friend though in high school. His dog was like, a tariff I, I think it was some form of shepherd but like it was really aggressive and whenever you would leave his house out of the front door the moment the door would open that dog would pounce and attack so like you had to be quick out the door or the dog was gonna get you there was one time though that my friend uh he was in the bathroom or something he didn't have control of the dog and i walk in and the dog eyes me down he sees the fear in my eyes and he charges. And the only thing I knew how to do is treat the dog like a shark. And I punched it in its nose. And that dog never attacked me ever again. So that might be your trick. If uh, the owner might not be too happy, but just treat it like a shark and punch it in its nose. Uh, no, you're not about that? that aren't the German Shepherds that trained attack dogs? I mean, so my mom has a German Shepherd. And I think like as a Jew, it's kind of like a big F you to Hitler. Like we got your favorite dog. <laughs> 
So my, you know, my German Shepherd is lovely. Her name is Gracie, and she's uh, a wonderful dog. But most of the times, yes, they are very aggressive dogs. Because you know, eh, Hitler's top choice. One of my, <laughs> one of my um, friends has got a bunch of dogs. Uh, I never go to his house for this reason, but that one of them was a German Shepherd, and it was a, a trained attack dog. And I wasn't sure whether my friend was telling me this to wind me up or whether this is true because I understood the nature of an attack dog if you were going to use it as a guard dog. So if you've got the German Shepherd or whatever breed it is and it's in your house and it's there to protect you, so, you know, you probably don't want to be the mailman or someone like that, but someone, you know, coming to the door, the dog is immediately alerted because, you know, right. it's, hence it's a guard dog. Get those barks going. My buddy told me that... um if I was to visit him in the house, like he'd let me in and it would be fine and the dog would see me and so on and so forth. He said, we could hang out all day, I don't know, watch football, drink beer, whatever. He said, um, if at the end of the day you get up to leave, so let's say we're sitting, say for example, we've been sitting in his front room watching the TV. Right. He said, if you get up to leave and open, go to open the door of the front room to exit, the German Shepherd will go for you. And I'm like, what the fuck? I, <laughs> the guard dog I get, I want to leave. I understand that you've right. got a dog that's trained to stop people coming in, but I can't get out. I'm never coming to your house. You would think he'd like open the door for you, like leave my house, job done. I have to, so again, you know, you're my go-to for American sports and, and dogs. Was my buddy lying to me or would that be the mindset of the German Shepherd? Because he basically said, if you get up and you you turn that door handle to exit my front room, having been in it for the duration of a, of a game, so, you know, four or five hours, that's it. The dog's going for you. I think it was more your friend just didn't want to tell you, but clearly he trained his dog to hate British people. I think it might just be that clearly that my friend just didn't want me going around to his house. I do. I it's do. like, I'm having football parties. We don't want Ian. Like, yeah. What's the best way? <laughs> tell him that the, Ger oh, the German Shepherd will scare him off. Here's a better idea. Tell him that he'll be allowed in, but he'll never be able to get out. And screw COVID sniffing dogs. We need a British guy sniffing dog. <laughs> so actually, just going back to another point, um, if there, again... I don't want to sound like I'm a conspiracy theorist, but it, Miami Heat using COVID sniffing dogs, right? To get people into the basketball. Right. Well, if what uh, my friends were saying about the governor of Florida with his, oh yeah, we'll let loads of people into our sporting events is true. Could it be that in two weeks' time, there's a load of COVID-sniffing dogs in Tampa, and then suddenly, again, you can allow all of those Buccaneers fans in to cheer? Because they've said that, um, I think it was it something like uh, 2,500 Buccaneers fans they were expecting, and they were giving, I think, just over 7,000 tickets to healthcare workers right. as, a, as, a, as, a, as a nice gesture. So they're setting it up that there's going to be no home-field advantage, right? Until... Governor DeSantis is there with like a thousand COVID sniffing dogs and he's going <laughs> all of Tampa. He's putting out a call on the radio. You know how uh, you know how uh, governments can intercept radio frequencies if they've got something major to announce? Sure. Like if, if like Armageddon's kicking off right, or something. Right, of course. Suddenly every radio station across Tampa, the morning of Super Bowl Sunday, is suddenly interrupted by something to get the, the Tampa people's attention and it goes, uh, 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 uh. 
that right the rift of smoke on the water's playing everyone in Tampa sits up because they're like this must be important and it's the governor saying we have deployed uh, 5,000 COVID sniffing dogs to where did the Buccaneers play? Raymond James Stadium is that is, you just made that up? no that's it oh it is Raymond James Stadium? yeah yeah oh. I'm shocked that it came out of my mouth so quickly but yeah that's knowledge. it we've got uh, 5,000 uh, COVID uh, sniffing dogs at Raymond James Stadium anyone can turn up and then suddenly again Brady's got that home field advantage it happens and he's deflating the balls behind while everyone is like distracted by the covid sniffing dogs and having the dogs attack the chiefs players that are afraid of dogs like you i will say real quick I <laughs> and the do... chiefs are all like jet lagged because they couldn't come in till two You're days right. before right i do have a little bit of experience with dogs at football stadiums you know they do get used quite a bit with uh they'll do like bomb sniffing dogs so when the cowboys stadium first opened i think it was like 2010 or 2011 one of my friends uh their business got tickets to a preseason game. They didn't want to go, so they gave it to me and my friends. It was an awesome experience. You know, first time going to Cowboys Stadium. So like the degenerate kids we did, we uh, we started partying on the drive up there. Mm. We're in my car. We're smoking. We're drinking. Maybe some other stuff going down. It's a, it's a quite illegal car driving up to the stadium. And, you know, I'm looking for parking. All of a sudden, I see on the parking pass, we have like, it's like spot A1 or something like that. The way these spots work at Cowboys Stadium is, I was literally parked. It's parking spot, sidewalk, doors to the stadium. Wow. Like, I'm literally, like, I have no, you know, normally you have to walk, like, a mile to get to the doors. I'm right next to Sam. But because of that, we have to, our car has to be checked by bomb-sniffing dogs. Oh, (laughs) I've never experienced like, this before. Okay, you know that parking lot five miles across the way that I'm normally in? Right. It's all right. We're going to go over there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, it's too late. We're in the line, and all of a sudden, I, you know, I don't know bomb sniffing dogs. I just see dogs, and I see all the illegal drugs that are in the car. And normally, when I see dogs sniffing, they're not looking for bombs. They're looking for illegal drugs. So we're scurrying. We're freaking out. I think I'm literally about to get arrested, never mind missing the Cowboys game. And we roll up to the security guard. He sees me shaking, and he literally goes, all right, uh, what you're going to do is you're going to step out of the vehicle and make sure uh, you hide all the drugs. <laughs> and my jaw drops. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, he knows, and we're going to be arrested. He goes, no, I'm just fucking with you, man. They're bomb-sniffing dogs. No one cares about this pot you're smoking. And we got to go on our merry way. So, uh, you, you know, not all dog experiences are bad. All right, there you go. That's uh, Jeremy. If you're carrying a load of drugs in the car, just see how far you can get. I mean, you might get lucky. You might be able to keep that A1 space, Exactly. Right? Make sure, you know, most likely those drug-sniffing dogs they're probably sniffing bobs bring your pot on the plane all right we uh need to do the song of the week results and then uh some other bits and pieces in uh part two but um i think i'm getting quite good at this sports stuff you're crushing it watch out espn give me some uh give me some spanish while i get the uh como se dice gato mis pantalones es en fuego what does that mean i think it means uh, how do you say cat and my pants are on fire? All right, that's a good starting point for when I do my auditions for uh, Mexican radio. Uh, last week in the Song of the Week, New York producer went with Easy by Pale Waves, 27% of the vote. Jeremy chose Close to You by Dayglow, 18% of the vote. Woo! Well done to me and AFI. Uh, AFI's new song, one of their two new songs, actually, Twisted Tongues, wins with 55% of the vote. So thank you very much if you voted for last week's Song of the Week, and well done to AFI for winning. Um, We will get to the new Songs of the Week for this week in part two. All right, let's do part two of Did You America? Season two, episode... 9,000. 
I'm Canfield. He's Jeremy. Uh, if you've missed any episodes, you can find them on our website, didyouamerica.com. That's also where you can go to vote for Song of the Week. Here are the new choices. Uh, new York producer is going for Citizen. New one by Sir Sly featuring Gary Clark Jr. Well, uh, New York producer stole my song this week. So instead, I will be going with Weezer, All My Favorite Songs. And uh, I'm going to go for the new one by Royal Blood, which is called Typhoons. Royal Blood, are, uh, I, I, I've liked what they've done so far. They're one of the few newish bands out of the UK that like to rock out. They're definitely channeling their inner muse on the uh, the songs that we've heard so far from their forthcoming album. So, Typhoons by Royal Blood, my choice. Citizen by Sir Sly featuring Gary Clark Jr., the choice of New York producer. And I'm going with Weezer, all my favorite songs. You can vote for Song of the Week at didyouamerica.com or we will have a poll set up on my Twitter. I am at Ian Camfield on Twitter. Um, talking of um, Song of the Week, uh, Will sent us a message saying he thinks it's a good idea if uh, we gave a hum of the Song of the Week suggestions. I don't know, Will. Did you hear that? Because th th I'd love to be able to put clips of the songs in, but because of licensing, you're only allowed to play music if you're on Spotify, which we are, but I know people listen to this podcast on other platforms, so we can't put in clips of the songs, um, unfortunately. And regarding me doing a rendition, I mean, did you hear me sing the theme tune from The Fall Guy a few weeks ago? Would you like that kind of fare on this podcast every week? Yeah, for me, I uh, I actually didn't even listen to the song I chose. I wouldn't even be able to hum it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, before we were recording, Jeremy's like, fucking New York producers chosen this. Oh, there's a new Weezer, fine, I'll do that. I right? knew the audience would be down with it. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know, uh, Will, if... Um, if uh, humming the songs is uh, a good idea uh, while we're doing some uh, listener feedback uh poll message okay this uh, i feel like we've started something now which is never going to go away this dispute about the year that texas got a huge amount of snowfall <laughs> not again because right see i mean i mentioned in passing a few episodes ago that here in uh, dfw it snowed a few Sundays ago. It was a rare occurrence, so it was a notable thing to, to talk about. It snowed for a few hours on a Sunday. The snow was clear in, I don't know, an hour or so after it actually stopped. It was just a flurry. But I, I think this, again, proves right my theory that, yeah, very, very, very rarely it snows in Texas. But because Texans have to be the biggest and best at everything... Even when it comes to snow, which clearly they're not the biggest at because, I mean, go check the weather for Chicago this week. Texans can't have any of that. Right. So we've had this now, this running dispute about what the year was when the biggest amount of snowfall happened in Texas. And I mentioned this in the previous episode. Anyone from uh, the great state, and I love Texas, by the way. I'm, I'm just saying this is just an amusing thing I've noticed about Texans. No one has disputed the amount of snow. All Texans are like, oh my God, it was so huge. The only thing you dispute is the date upon which it happened. So um, Paul messaged to say, uh, Jeremy's right. I had my weather events crossed up. Um, there were several feet of snow in February 2010. And he sent me what he claims is proof um, from an old article from some uh, Dallas news source, the headline of which was Massive Blizzard in Fort Worth. That's all well and good, 
But I'm looking at the picture that apparently came with this uh, article from apparently 2010, Paul. And the picture looks like an artist has made it. Which, again, makes me think, they went, well, we can't just take a picture of the actual amount of snow that fell in Fort Worth because it was fuck all. And we can't say there was a bit of snow in Texas. We have to have loads. Get an artist to do a picture. Whatever's going on on the East Coast right now, make out that happened last week. So, two things. One, of course I was right. I've literally never been wrong about anything in my entire life. Right. Two, you know, I'm not going to hate on my fellow Texans anymore. Look, we saw snow. It was wonderful. Sure, it might have not been nine inches, but it looked like nine inches to us. But you know what? There is one place that looks at snow even worse than we do, and that's our former home of Arizona. I saw, I had a friend share a a news post today that was uh, from an Arizona weather person, and they tweeted a photo out of their window and was like, oh my God, it's been so long since I've seen Arizona, since I've seen Phoenix like this with a bunch of uh, snowflake emojis. And in the picture, there was not a single sign of snow anywhere. The only sign that it was cold was there was a tree in the photo and it didn't have leaves on it. They're literally getting excited because their, uh, I guess, like precipitation looks like snow flurries. I, uh, again, I love, love, love living in uh, DFW. I've, I've never lived in a major city where pretty much everyone here loves America as much as I do. And how much is that, Jeremy? Way too much. <laughs> I mean, it's... Uh, I always said I was America's biggest fan. I think I can still claim that, but there are people that equal me for their love of all things America and Texas. So I very much enjoy this, but the whole fixation with Texas has got to be the biggest. So this conversation about snow has now extended to my social circle. I'm talking with my buddy Zach on the weekend, who's from here, right? And I said, look, no one can... Everyone's just like, oh, it was a huge amount. No one can agree on the date. And uh, someone who was uh, with us said, um, oh, yeah, I think um, you're getting confused. That wasn't the year of the snowstorm. That was the year of the ice storm. And then Zach, who's the most Texan of all of us in this uh, at this uh, particular gathering, goes, Ian, sleet storm, snowstorm, ice storm, it don't matter. It's all the same in Texas. And if it happened in Texas, it was fucking huge. <laughs> Remember the Alamo. (laughs) Literally. And I'm like, yes, Zach, that is absolutely correct. That we finally have found the correct answer. There you go. Well done, Zach, my buddy, Zach, you were right. (laughs) So, yeah, thanks for that uh, feedback, Paul. Um, Jose uh, said, oh, my God, now you've killed Larry King. No. Wait, didn't we kill him like three weeks ago? There is a thing, and we've mentioned it on the Did You America podcast before, where I have had a, uh, an unfortunate track record of um, talking about um, elderly entertainers, and then they either get uh, very ill or they die. Um, you know, I went to the penultimate show of Walter Becker from Steely Dan before Steely Dan just became a Donald Fagan project. Walter Becker died. Um, there was one time I... Uh, when I was living in Arizona, on the same night, Metallica were playing one arena and Neil Diamond was playing another arena. And so I had to decide which show I was going to go to. And I thought to myself, you know what? Even though I love Metallica, I'm going to go Neil Diamond because he's probably got less shows ahead of him. So I went to that Neil Diamond show. I think it was about two weeks later. Neil Diamond retires from performing because he's got MS. Um, who? Uh, there was someone else. Who else? 
I don't know. You probably like listened to Peter Frampton like the day before he announced he was dying too. I guess not dying, but dying. I there is I do have an unfortunate track record. I I don't think that you can put Larry King on me though because Larry King was uh, eighty seven and he had COVID. I mean. I mean, we did do an obituary for him three weeks before he died. So if you do think I'm a bad luck charm when it comes to elderly entertainers at that point, I guess he had no chance. Well, I mean, it wasn't even the the obit we did way prematurely. We then mentioned it like in every episode up until his point. I'm sorry, dude. You killed Larry King. Apologize to his family. But, you know, good thing for, I guess, like his eight ex-wives. Yeah. Do you think the eighth one's going, oh my God, I got so lucky? Sean think, King is pumped right now. Because I don't know who he married. One of them he married twice, I read. Yeah, right? that was, I think, his fourth wife. What a bro. <laughs> right? He was married eight times and one of them he went the in man. for a second round. <laughs> my God, in the UK, we'd be like, such a lad. You know, I don't get me wrong. Larry King, American icon. But when I was driving in today, I actually saw... Uh, it was one of those changing billboards off of the toll road, and you it know, was advertising a gun show. Well, it, it, <laughs> I, that, literally, that's all the billboards do in Texas. It was a gun show, and then it switched to it just said 1933 to 2011, and then had like the caricature of overalls and glasses, so you knew it was Larry King. Oh. And all I was, but yeah, no, it's sweet, but like. I mean, of all the celebrities, to, like, who paid for that billboard? Like, who, who in DFW is someone that they didn't just put that up? I mean, like. I didn't even see one of those it's when the, George Bush Sr. died. It's the eighth wife sticking two, <laughs> sticking two fingers up at the previous seven wives. Right. Going, yeah, I got so much money. You bitches were so unlucky. I got so much money now. I'm going to put him on billboards just to remind you who walked <laughs> away with all the grain. That must have been it because literally, like, don't get me wrong. Again, icon, but there's way bigger celebrities who have died who deserve billboards when here. You the, when you said the billboard changed... To 1935, I thought you were going to tell me it said 1935, biggest snowfall ever <laughs> in Texas. Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I mean, I was never a, a huge follower of Larry King. I do like his work, though. Uh, just some of the highlights that have come out um, for, um, you know, since uh, he, he sadly passed away. Uh, I, I guess this was in recent years. He had uh, DJ Khaled on the show because I also read that you know he's um, obviously he was known as one of one of the great interviewers, and he said that his skill in interviewing was listening, and also he would research the subject but never go into the interview with any questions written down. So he it would be like he would read up on whoever was going to come in, get the gist of what they were promoting or what they were there to talk about, and then just have a conversation with them. But he had this great kind of offhand way of sometimes having a conversation. So <laughs> DJ Khaled is on there talking about the enormous level of success that he's got. and um, But he's very much, talk again, to, to re reference what we were discussing in part one, the kind of American dream and the pursuit of ambition and the celebration of success. Right. So Khaled's on there going, I wanted the mansion on the hill. I wanted the huge car. I, you know, I want, and, and basically he's going, you know, and I went after it and I worked hard and I got it. And Larry King sits there and goes, 
When did you put on all the weight? <laughs> Masterful transition. What's the, what's the... Who's the guy that you, you sent me a clip of a guy? Oh. I, I didn't know this guy, but, but again, it was just a great uh, interview technique from Larry King. Yeah, it's uh, Danny Putty. He was on the show Community, and I guess he was being interviewed with them. I guess this is in a time where he was voicing a character in the animated series DuckTales. And so, you know... Larry's as a very successful rich man this time. He's like, what are the luxuries in your life? You know, this guy, Danny Putty's, you know, up and coming actor. He's like, oh, I like a nice cup of coffee, maybe a nice pair of socks. And Larry like gets mad at him. Coffee, he's, you can get coffee anywhere. Coffee's not a luxury. He's like, these aren't luxuries. And so Danny's like, what's a luxury to you? He goes, private jet. And Danny just looks at him and goes, Larry, I'm on DuckTales. Like, <laughs> I'm not Larry King. I'm on the animated kid show. I'm lucky to be making six figures. So I've got to, I've just remembered, I didn't put this in my notes, um, but one of my friends, my buddy Stephen has sent me um, possibly my favorite thing on Larry King, and I need to find it from my phone. This is very, very um, unprepared of me. While I skip through these messages, um, I can I can tell me about more. the because the other the other good one was uh, was it Piers Morgan? No, I've got oh Jerry Seinfeld. Jerry Seinfeld. Right, right, so Jerry. This is right after the, the, the he's had the biggest ratings ever for his finale. Yeah, right? like right after Seinfeld ends and. For some reason, Larry comes in, he's like, so uh, you were canceled or uh, they canceled you. And Jerry just looked at him and was like, did you do no research? I just came I, off. I never write any questions that I read wrong. He just he just came off the most successful show of all time. Clearly, he didn't get canceled, and he let Larry know about well, it. Well, I, I heard a clip of that, though, when the, 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 there was an obituary piece that I was listening to uh, on the radio today. And Larry King keeps on pushing the point, though, because Jerry Seinfeld responds like that. And Larry King goes, but, you know, the show was on for a long time and the numbers go down. Like, you know, and and and, and, he's, and, and he was at the time like the most watched TV show. Like, <laughs> yeah. Finale, right. Oh, Jerry yeah. Seinfeld basically said, I'm fed up with having to turn up several weeks of the year to make a TV show because it's actually quite hard work. And I'm one of the biggest paid people in entertainment. I could just go and charge a fortune for doing a few arena shows here and there and make my living that way, right? It's pretty much I, what he's done. Eventually, I'm going to stick a little camera in my car, get my famous friends to have coffee, and we'll have a chat, and we'll film that, and then that'll make me a load of money as well. I don't have to do the Seinfeld show every week. <laughs> but did it get cancelled? Right. <laughs> what were the numbers? The numbers were dropping, right? Right. Oh, Are need, you still looking for I'm it? I'll keep going. Yeah, so, keep going. Yeah, while we gave possibly the worst obit three weeks early, there was one that did top us, and that might have been the tweet by Piers Morgan. Yeah, so Piers Morgan replaced Larry King at CNN. And so, you know, a few hours after his death was reported, Piers Morgan tweeted, Larry King was a hero of mine until we fell out after I replaced him at CNN. And he said, my show was like watching your mother-in-law go over a cliff in your new Bentley. He married eight times, so a mother-in-law expert. But he was a brilliant broadcaster and masterful TV interviewer. You know, one, the, the, one of the things that... Um, the, the, Piers Morgan's most impressive skill is that he managed to piss off all of America in about five minutes because he turned up on your TV screens. Reply well, he was on your TV screens doing that talent show, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he thought that after... So first of all, he turned up like a snarky fucking Brit being judgmental of people who thought that, you know, because they could juggle some balls in the air, they, they had, was he America's Got Talent? 
Yeah, right? he basically stole Simon Cowell's shtick and then was like, I guess I'll steal, steal Larry King's. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he thought that he could go on a TV talent show and be critical of people that are trying to do a circus act in front of cameras. And then he decided, because I guess he was relatively successful at doing that, he could then go on a serious show replacing Larry King. But rather than having a go at jugglers who wanted to be in the circus, he'd just have a go at America in general and start <laughs> telling you as an entire country what was wrong with your country. And so immediately, of course, America's like, what the fuck? What's this fucking Brit doing? Because it strikes me that there, you do have a history of, of, of Brits coming to the States and being somewhat successful in entertainment. But most of them that are successful are the ones that come because they want to be here, because they love it, and they celebrate all things American, like me. Although right. Having said that, of course, I need a job. Yeah, you're the anti-Piers Morgan, which could be why you don't have a job. <laughs> well, no, but I, but, but I always thought that, because that show was carried in the UK, because obviously Piers Morgan's a big name there. And, you know, I'm living in Shitsville at the time, and I'm thinking, like, fucking hell, Piers Morgan, what are you doing? Why You don't go on TV every night replacing Larry King after about 250 years and start telling America what is wrong with America, all the, like, non-stop, which is basically what he did. And then America went, actually, you can fuck off. And then, of course... <laughs> He's still bitter about it years later, but as I said, so that's his that's his greatest skill, Piers Morgan. He managed to piss off America in like five minutes. Larry King was on for two hundred and fifty billion years, and let, uh, Piers Morgan was on for twenty five minutes, and said, "You should all give up your guns." And then America <laughs> went, "No, actually, we're not going to do it. Yeah, we don't want that." Um, and uh, but his second most impressive skill is he manages to say things that you could term as inflammatory to then get a response for them. So I like people are going, oh, that's an outrageous tribute that Piers Morgan just gave to Larry King. Piers Morgan knew exactly what he was doing there to get the attention from from Larry King. Um, but as you say, based on the fact that we were doing probably quite bad obituaries for Larry King for at least three weeks before he died. At least Piers Morgan has now beaten us with potentially the worst obituary. Yeah, take that, Piers. So I found what I was looking for. Okay. So this is great. Um, this is someone uh, who uh, worked with Larry King. Now, um, Larry King, very active on Twitter. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, uh, you could uh, follow what he thought about various bits and pieces. And uh, <laughs> someone posted this as the tribute to Larry King. I Twitter every day, Larry King says, in his hotel room at the Ritz-Carlton in Washington, where he was staying in advance of a Wednesday night appearance uh, on a TV show. When Larry King wants to tweet, he doesn't log onto the internet. He pops open a flip phone stored in his shirt pocket between his suspender straps and calls a number for a voicemail set up specifically for this purpose. He then dictates what will be picked up by his assistant and transcribed onto his at King's Things Twitter account. And there are nearly 2.6 million followers there to receive it. So Larry King had a flip phone that called a voicemail directly that his assistant would pick up somewhere else and then transcribe what he left on a voicemail as a tweet. And everyone thought that Larry King was tweeting and he's got no idea. See, that's what I need in my life. I need to be treated like I'm an 80-year-old who doesn't understand technology but needs to be uh, on technology. And so someone just does it for me. That is my... I've, I've had a, a thing about... Um, old entertainers and how difficult they are with communication. I, I think we've discussed on this podcast before, I've always been very fond of the fact that 
Apparently, if you want to get in touch with Morrissey or Keith Richards, you have to send a fax. Like they, they, <laughs> right, they, they, yeah, they fax. yeah. And even before email, when people were, you know, before obviously people are used to written communication now. People don't often use the phone. But even when it was, you know, normal to pick up the phone and call someone, um, they would only communicate by fax. So if you didn't have a fax machine, you couldn't get a message to Keith Richards or Morrissey, and I believe that's still the same. Madonna still only communicates using BlackBerry huh. because on BlackBerry there's a pin-to-pin thing. The BBM? Apparently it's the most secure way of sending a message. So if I WhatsApp you or send you a text message... Anyone can intercept that from anywhere if they know what they're doing. But apparently the pin to pin on BlackBerry was the uh, the most secure way of sending communications. That's why when Obama um, finished his second term as president and they said, what are you looking forward to uh, after um, 2016? He said getting an iPhone because, <laughs> he, because he wasn't allowed an iPhone right. because he had to have a BlackBerry as president. So Madonna... I don't even know if anyone still makes BlackBerry anywhere, but if there's any money still in the BlackBerry industry, it's literally because everyone in Madonna's circle is keeping BlackBerry afloat because they have to have Blackberries. So that was all good. But now I know that top of the class when it comes to older entertainers and their idiosyncrasies when it comes to communication, the fact that Larry King would use a flip phone to dictate to a voicemail so his assistant elsewhere could listen to his message and then put it on Twitter. That is great. See, I'm stuck now. All I'm thinking about is like the one lucky guy with the Blackberry that's getting all these secure Madonna tit pics. <laughs> yeah, imagine like someone who's kept a Blackberry in a drawer somewhere and completely forgotten about it and they're about to move house or they're having a spring clean or something. And they're like, oh yeah, remember my Blackberry? And then they get it out and suddenly there's a load of pictures of Madonna on there naked. And it's like, hey, Madge, that pin to pin's not as secure anymore as you thought it was. <laughs> like, oh my God, I'm never switching the iPhone. Uh, a couple of TV things uh, before we go on today's episode. Um, I finished with Cobra Kai. I mean, I'm not finished with it. Um, I finished season three, which is the latest season that there is on um, Netflix. And um, I just want to say, every time I thought that it was getting too much of a teen drama and I was going to give up on it, they put something in there to, br- to bring me back. Um, the most recent example, the kids were just becoming so annoying. And I think I was like, Four episodes away from the end, and I thought, you know what? There's there's other stuff I could be watching. And then there's a scene where the 80s big hair metal band Wasp are playing in the background. <laughs> and they don't mention Wasp. They're not in the script or anything. But just at the point I was about to go, all right, I'm done. <gasps> Is that Wasp? <laughs> Bring you right back in. Is there a in. Cobra Kai workout going out to Wasp? <laughs> I'm like, I mean, you could have used their hit Animal Fuck Like a Beast. That would have been better. <laughs> but maybe that's coming in season four. I was going to say, it is a teen drama, you know. Um, so, and, and you know, in much the same way. And, and before that, um, from out of nowhere, and I, if you haven't watched up to season three, I don't want to give it away. But uh, again, I was at the point of dipping out of Cobra Kai because it was getting too much like a teen drama. And then suddenly they go to a gig by Dee Snyder from Twisted Sister. Wow. And again, it's like you don't see it coming. And it's almost like 
I'm watching this in real time and somehow they think, oh my God, Ian Canfield's about to give up on Cobra Kai. What can we do to stop this? Let's all go to a D. Snyder gig instead. And suddenly, I want to rock, rock. Dun, 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 dun. And I'm like, all right, now you got me for another few episodes. Now, even in 2020 version of Twisted Sister, is D. Snyder like all done up in like the drag look and everything? Mm-hmm. So one of uh, my, actually one of my college roommates, he growing up on Long Island was, I guess, really good family friends with d snyder i never really got too much info like how did that happen like how does you know i guess d snyder was pretty known as being kind of like a long island family mm-hmm. man mm-hmm. outside of his rock career but it still always just seemed odd like did he show up to thanksgiving and like the whole ordeal like i wouldn't want to see him any other way i i interviewed him once in the, the, the they twisted sister uh once they reformed came to london a bit more but they were another one of those american bands that were huge in the 80s in the states and just didn't really bother uh with the UK so this is going back some years now but I was still living in Shitsville and they were playing like Twisted Sisters first gig in England for I don't know 15 years or something like that and he came into my show to do an interview and I remember he had it was tied back because it was in the afternoon before the the gig on stage yeah and um and I made a comment to him off air about um because he's still physically fit. Like the first thing oh, yeah. that, that you notice is he's very tall and he's very much in shape. And I said, and we were talking about sort of fitness regime before we kicked into the main interview. And I sort of said, I, can't, I said, well, you know, keeping in good shape and looking after yourself has obviously done uh, done yourself a, a favor. You got a great head of hair because uh, because you know there was still a lot of hair there. Right. And he goes, yeah. And I said, but of course you need that for Twisted Sister. And he looks at me and he goes. Oh, this is a good head of hair, but this ain't good enough for Twisted Sister. I'll be wearing a wig on stage tonight. (laughs) (laughs) I like the idea of like him pulling all his hair that's like the exact same size as the wig into a hair thing. So Dee Snyder, he's probably in his 60s now, I guess, uh, is a man who is uh, still very, very much in shape and has a great head of hair. He's got big hair, but not big enough for Twisted Sister. There needs to be some extensions going on when that happens. But yeah, I just think that so each time that I was, you know, going to pull away from Cobra Kai because I don't give a shit about the kids. I like the retro aspects of it. There was another point in it where I was getting kind of bummed with the storyline and then uh, someone's got a smartwatch in a scene and they talk to it and uh, one of the guys in Cobra Kai goes, you talk to your watch like Knight Rider? I'm like... See now, that's how you get all your text messages. And um, I also, um, one other thing that and it made me think about is this the solution to get any shows that have gone astray back on track? This first started with me and Cobra Kai, um, when uh, the two main characters, uh, Johnny and Daniel were they've hated one another for several episodes but they have this bonding session in a car because Ario Speedwagon comes on the radio and they both love Ario Speedwagon and uh that was the first point at which I was on the verge of giving up with Cobra Kai but there's this whole scene where they just, you, one goes to the other you like Ario Speedwagon and the other one goes what kind of a man doesn't? I was like, yeah! <laughs> and then they're kind of singing along to the Irish Speedwagon song. And I, it just occurred to me, like, you know, we talk about Brussels sprout syndrome, which is, uh, you know, Brussels sprouts came from the UK, but everyone thinks the UK way of doing Brussels sprouts is disgusting. And America perfected Brussels sprouts because you guys just make them 
um, more digestible and you've done lots of different things with them. So anything that America has taken and made better, we call it Brussels sprout syndrome, right? right? I think I've discovered the new thing to save wavering TV shows and it's REO Speedwagon syndrome. Because (laughs) if you inject REO Speedwagon into anything, apparently it makes it better. So REO Speedwagon was my first save with Cobra Kai, right? Okay. I was a big fan of Ozark. I did feel at some t- at some points during Ozark, it got a little bit dark. Like, t- and I don't mind my TV shows dark, but it, at certain points it was becoming like the, the the darkness was sort of overbearing. And then in that most recent season of Ozark, it's really dark. But there's a whole subplot during the most recent season where they have to book a show by Ario Speedwagon at their casino. And again, the introduction of ario speedwagon was perfect light to the darkness uh, darkness of ozark and then i was thinking i oh, like i like things that come in threes is there a third example of this fuck yeah there is do you remember when jimmy kimmel he can't do it now because of covid but he used to have these mashup things where he would get the same uh, two bands on stage to perform um one of the band's songs so it was like a music mashup thing um, and I forget what he called. Maybe it was just called like Music Mashup Mondays. And um, he had Ario Speedwagon and the guy from Imagine Dragons, right? Right. And I'm not one of these people who hates on um, Imagine Dragons, but I would never choose to listen to their music. But they put them together and they made Ario Speed Dragons. I, I believe think. it was Imagine Ario Speed Dragons. Right. Imagine Ario Speed Dragons. So you've got Ario Speedwagon making Dan Reynolds from Imagine Dragons great because he's suddenly singing Roll With The Changes with them. That's the third point. And now I'm thinking, like, I keep reading these stories about Jimmy Fallon, who's like tanking in the ratings and what they're going to do about that late night TV show. Let me just appoint myself as a narrow TV consultant. Get rid of the roots. Get Ario Speedwagon in there. They fix everything. Clearly. I even have a millennial example of this. So uh, do you remember like when there was that phase where people would go behind live newscasters and scream fucker in the pussy? Right. So there's, you know, I've never really was a fan of that. I found it inappropriate. But there's a clip where TMZ goes to interview. who Who's the singer of Ario Speedwagon? Cronin? Um, is I it don't even Mark, know. I think it's Mark Cronin, right. maybe. Well, uh, TMZ's going to interview him and his wife, and they're with his son. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the interview, his son just leans in and goes, fuck her right in the pussy. <laughs> and the reaction on the guy from Ario Speedwagon's face just makes that bit one billion times finer. So Ario Speedwagon even made that better. Yeah. So thanks, Ario Speedwagon. That was just the thing I wanted to put on the end of today's podcast because I'd workshopped it in my mind. And I thought, does this make sense? But I think we've got enough examples now. Ario Speed, if you've got trouble with your TV show, if you're out of ideas or you need something to give you a little ratings bump, literally you inject some Ario Speedwagon. Ario Speedwagon fix all problems. Yeah, either that or get his son to scream fucker right in the pussy. All right, I think we are done for today. If you want to vote for Song of the Week, uh, go to didyouamerica.com slash song, or you can vote on the poll, which will be on my Twitter. I'm at Ian Canfield on Twitter. Uh, Via the website, you can also talk with us. If you want to send us a message, if you want to jump on board with uh, anything we've been discussing today, we always love to hear from you. 
you want to tell us that we suck, that's also fine. Digiamerica.com, the place that you can uh, go to to correspond with the show and also where you can listen to previous episodes and buy a t-shirt. Jeremy, how great are the t-shirts? Oh, they feel so good on your nipples. Digiamerica.com is where you can go for all of that stuff. Did we America today? <laughs> Did we ever? <laughs> <laughs>